Okay, quick insert at the top of the pod from Saturday morning in Las Vegas with some coaching news to discuss. This is what we're hearing. As reported, it is believed that Mike Babcock will be the next head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets once his contract with the Maple Leafs is up at the end of June. I think right from the beginning, Babcock was very high on Columbus's list. I think they met early in their process, and depending on who you talk to, Babcock either wasn't ready to take the job or initially he might have turned down the job. Whatever the case, Columbus went through their process. Babcock, I believe, took a family trip overseas, and either he reconsidered or he thought about it more. One of the reasons I don't think he would have been a fit or wouldn't have wanted a job like the Rangers is I think he wanted something that was a little bit more out of the spotlight. And I'm not knocking Columbus here. I'm not making fun of Columbus here. But the fact is, it's not the same as New York City or Toronto when it comes to media. So I'm not surprised that if he was going to take another NHL coaching job, it was going to be a situation like this one. I think what's going to be interesting here is the reaction. I think some of the players in Columbus were asked about the possibility of it. You know, don't forget, Rick Nash won a gold medal playing a big role with Babcock on the 2010 Canadian Olympic team. So I think we're in a situation where maybe Nash was willing to say, all right, I had a good experience under him. I guess we'll hear more as this continues. It will be interesting to see what the players have to say, particularly any of them who might not have known that Babcock was going to be the hire. I personally believe everybody deserves a chance to show that they've learned from their lessons and learned from their mistakes. And I can't imagine Columbus didn't make this hire without a very, very deep dive into that exact feeling. I definitely got the impression on Saturday morning that some of the players were surprised. So we'll see where this all goes. But as it stands, Babcock is going to be Columbus's coach. New York, I think this is going to be a weekend where they kind of consider who they might offer the job to. I think Laviolette is still in there. I think John Hines is still in there. If anyone else is at the top of that list with those two guys, honestly, I admit I'm not aware of them. Meanwhile, Toronto, I do think we're going to see the Maple Leafs and Keefe potentially talk about an extension. I think there have been some initial meetings, and I wouldn't be surprised if the two sides investigate something like that. All right, with that out there, Back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Elliot, we're at T-Mobile Arena. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Canyon AT4X. You, me, and Amal sitting around the table here after a full day of doing interviews. You will hear, by the way, on this podcast a little bit later on, Matthew Kachuk. Would you call him the star of the playoffs, the, the breakout celebrity of the playoffs, Elliot Friedman? Well, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you're familiar with the summer of George. Yes. This is the spring of Matthew. <laughs> so uh, you'll hear from him in a little while here on the podcast. Also, you'll hear from Alex Petrangelo. And of particular note, 
he addresses the handshake, Elliot. I do not want to give any spoilers. Okay. No spoiler alert, because there are no spoilers. Stay tuned. That's coming up a little bit later on. Alex Petrangelo talks about shaking the hand of Leon Dreisaitl. But before we get there, and there's going to be a full slate of news, a lot of things we have to go over and catch up on the last couple of days, whether it's Pittsburgh, whether it's Toronto, whether it's Ottawa. Yes, that continues. Some signings in Philadelphia as well. Jeff, before we get into the news of the week, just wanted to shout out Nicole Buckley mm-hmm. from the National Hockey League and her staff. Yes. We've been at media days before. This one was very smooth. Things ran on time. If they didn't, it was because Jeff asked too, too many questions. How dare you? But You cad. I have to say it was excellent. This was as smooth a media day as I've ever seen. Thumbs up from us here. And also to our crew, led by Amal Delich, Jeremy McElhaney, and the technical people. Are, that's a local Vegas crew, right? They were really on the ball. So just wanted to say thanks to everyone. I want to start off by talking a little bit, or actually throwing to a clip and getting your thoughts on it, from the two head coaches, Paul Maurice of the Florida Panthers and Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. We didn't sit down very long with both of them. I mean, this was this was car wash time here, but they gave us some really good stuff. Let's start off today by hearing from Bruce Cassidy on where the Stanley Cup will be won. Well, it's interesting because I would say in the slot battle, I think the team that controls the neutral zone, it's is always going to have an edge yep. because you're you know you're forechecking, you're getting to your game. I think both teams forecheck well, but you know if we get away from that, I think the slot battle will determine the Stanley Cup. And so, true to form, after we spoke with Bruce Cassidy, we spoke to Paul Maurice and asked, well, the same question. We recycle here. Save the planet. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to tell you that because it's critical to us. They have some things. So they have two or three things that they're very, very good at, elite at. And eventually, he's right. The game always ends up to the net front, right? The percentage of goals that score from the slot is so much, and the inner slot are just you're scoring at like 4% outside them. So for sure. So how does it get there? Right. Each team is going to try to get the puck in the slot really in different ways. They're going to do everything they can to keep us from getting it the way we do. And we're going to do everything we can to get them, stop them. But theirs is different. So we've seen versions of their game in Toronto and Boston, not so much Carolina who got a ton of slot shots on us. Don't get me wrong. Mm. But yeah, we will both try to take the strengths away. And as the underdog, we will pay particular attention to it. So that's Paul Maurice having no part of strategic talk in advance of the Stanley Cup. You got to go on these fishing trips, Elliot. You just got to go. It's kind of funny. We asked Bruce Cassidy, like, he's one of the best coaches at breaking down things in his media availabilities. Ron McLean is a huge fan of listening to Bruce Cassidy talk. He's very open. And he said when we asked him about it elsewhere in the interview that he just doesn't think there's a lot of secrets. And according to Paul Maurice, Bruce Cassidy is absolutely 100% wrong. I did, though, think that Maurice gave an interesting answer, too, without trying to actually answer the question. He said, yeah, ultimately, that's where the puck goes. 
you know, like if you're a defenseman, like you learn this really early in your, you know, minor slash youth hockey career. You know, if you lose your assignment in your own zone as a defenseman, go to the front of the net because that's where the puck is headed anyhow. Mm-hmm. So it, it shouldn't surprise anybody that Paul Maurice said, well, yeah, of course, that's where the part of the series is going to be won because that's where the puck goes anyhow. Nonetheless, one of the things that I think we should all look forward to after the game are the coaches' press conferences because we have two of the best talkers in Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, and Paul Murray, same of the Florida Panthers. By the way, you'll be able to hear both full interviews coming up soon with head coach Bruce Cassidy and head coach Paul Maurice at a later date. Don't forget, coming up a little bit later on, you'll hear from Alex Petrangelo of the Vegas Golden Knights and the spring of Matthew, Matthew Kachuk, coming up a little bit later on. In the meantime, uh, news on the March Elliots. I guess we should probably maybe start with a cleanup from the last couple of days because these conversations continue. Kyle Dubas is named the president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Good afternoon, everybody. On behalf of John Henry, who's here today, and Dave Beeston, it's our pleasure today to introduce you all to Kyle Dubas, the Penguins president of hockey operations. A move that surprised some, a move that a lot of other people looked at and just kind of bobbleheaded and said, yeah, we thought it was heading this direction anyhow. What did you think of it? First of all, I know you, big wrestling fan, Jeff Merrick. Dun, 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 dun. You going to go uh, uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash on this one? I am. Or you could pick the original Four Horsemen, the Andersons, oh, Tully Blanchard and Ric Flair. Very nice. Four Horsemen. Nice. Lovely. So J.G. Dillon was the manager, by the way. I was actually a bit surprised that... You're talking about the timing yes, of the, the, the announcement. Because okay. Cahal Kelly of the Globe and Mail, he asked uh, the Maple Leafs about the timing of the Penguins Brendan tweets. Shanahan specifically. Yes. Yeah. 30 minutes before the Toronto presser. Brendan, about a half hour before we sat down here, your former GM was announced as, <clears throat> excuse me, the president of Pittsburgh. He'll be debuted an hour from now. What do you think of that timing? Well, I, I think they're like us. I don't think it was intentional timing. I've been in contact with the um, with the CEO of, of of Fenway, Sam Kennedy. He and I are very close. We've we've talked over the last week uh, several times about Kyle. So um, I think they 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 need to get to work as well. Um, fully endorsed Kyle. I thought he told Sam that he would be great for their organization, uh, and I'm very happy for him. As far as I know, the Penguins were not asked about it. I don't think it was intentional. What I do think is that the Penguins wanted to break the news themselves. I know I was chasing it. I'm Mm. sure I wasn't the only one. I was not far away from getting it confirmed. As a matter of fact, when I did put it out... I have a friend who counts this stuff. He says, oh, the the Penguins beat you by 52 seconds, you loser. (laughs) They broke their own news before you were able to break it for them, and you're getting that thrown in your face. That's nice. I like your buddy. Uh, I I like that. This is what friends are for, like, you know, just to rub your face in it when you feel shame and failure. I like that guy. But I think that's the reason for the timing. I think the Penguins knew they weren't going to be able to keep it quiet. I'll say this. Like, in a lot of organizations, a hiring like that, you sort of get a note. I don't know what they do, a group chat, a WhatsApp, like an email, whatever it is. WhatsApp. Oh, that's what I said, WhatsApp. <laughs> that's so embarrassing. WhatsApp, grandpa. <laughs> Almost, you have to leave it. I can't. I actually said WhatsApp. Yes. That is awful. 
after people were, were ripping me for using the word lit in a tweet on Friday. Anyway, so whether it's a group chat, a WhatsApp, mm. an email, whatever it is, like yeah. normally you hear that. This, from what I understand, was not the case in Pittsburgh. As a matter of fact, like, I don't know if this is exactly true, but I'm betting it's close. They sent the tweet out and like basically Kyle Dubas, David Beeston, and John Henry like showed up. That's how tight it was in Pittsburgh. That's how tight they kept it. Sticking with the pro wrestling theme, by the way. I don't think they're avoiding this. This yes. is like the swerve of all time. Like, like they did everything they could to keep it as quiet as they could. Yeah. I know some people out there are ripping Dubas for That's I'm Toronto or nowhere. It's tough for me to... What I would say is that I'm, I'm not going to... I definitely don't have it in me to go anywhere else. So it'll either be here or it'll be taking time to recalibrate, reflect on the seasons here. But you won't see me next week pop up elsewhere. I, don't, I can't put them through that after this year. It doesn't bother me. I, Jeff, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but the moment it ended for Dubis the way it did, he was going somewhere. Because the situation changed. It wasn't by his decision. If you're looking for a reason why Dubas said one thing but did another, well, the ground shifted under him. He wasn't controlling his fate there in that situation. He was dismissed. He was dismissed from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the situation changed for him, so he adapted accordingly. I have no problem with it. Kyle, welcome to Pittsburgh. In your final press conference with Toronto, mm -hmm. you expressed just how difficult of a season it was sure. on you and your family. Mm -hmm. Why was this the opportunity? Uh, it, it was, and I mean, maybe I was too honest that day um, with how I was feeling in, in that exact moment. Uh, so, uh, but it's in the past. Um, the way that we viewed it was when we came to the last day there, so Friday the 19th, or I think that's the date and I have in my head. Um, when we got home the next day, uh, you know, you get inundated with calls, texts, people want to come over to the house. It's, it's nice, but it's also sad. And then you, uh, the way that we viewed the next day was very early the next morning. I was on the phone with one of our staff there and I had a, a 617 area code call and I hung up and it was a message from Sam. Um, who told me that uh, they had permission from Toronto and my initial inkling was you know we need to take a breath here um, before we entertain other options because that was our intention at the beginning of the week and my wife uh, then you know later in the day said I, I actually think you should go and at least meet with them because you know she said it's if they're great people and they have a long-term view of the organization it's going to be a great fit for you uh, in terms of what everybody is about that you're going to work for and work with uh, and and the staff has a great feel then we're going to be moving anyway now so our kids are going to be six and two leo will be in grade one next year shannon's view was if we're going to move we may as well move now before the kids are too entrenched and so that was the first step. I, I had a very long meeting with Tom, John, Dave, and Sam at, at John's home on the Sunday, which was, it was to say it, from my view, it was just a remarkable meeting in terms of hearing the way that they view a sports organization, the way that they want to build things out, the short-term competitiveness, but the long-range uh, capacity to build this, uh, an organization that can sustain success. Then it was you know, having time with, with Sully and Sid to see what kind of people they were. Because, I, I mean, I, I can look from afar and think I know them, but getting to know them was important to me uh, as we went through it. And then, really, the, the closer came in on, on Saturday, Sunday with 
Jen and Jason with our family coming down and they really felt extraordinarily comfortable here. And it's not a, you know, the other part of it is, is, you know, on the family side, all of those boxes were checked in terms of the people that I'd be working for and with. The people in the organization that I had met were incredible and everybody in the city that we, we interacted with was incredible. And um, then once uh, Jen and Jason uh, were great with showing us around, uh, we all became very comfortable with the idea. So it wasn't the intention going in, but seeing that we were going to have to move anyway, you never know that if you pass on this, is it's an opportunity to work with these people and, and for a city like this and a group like this going to be available. And so we, uh, we jumped in today with uh, both feet. So. You know, one of the things you and I had talked about was that I believe there were teams that reached out to him and said, do you want to come work with us as a consultant? Or, you know, we have situations where we don't have people with a lot of term. Yeah. And maybe you start as a consultant or an advisor and eventually you grow into a bigger role. Like, I think those options were open to him. I know of one team that considered it, but then ultimately didn't ask for permission because they figured he was just going to Pittsburgh. Now, one of the teams I wondered about, for argument's sake, is was Seattle. Is there a Sue connection there? Let me just check my notes. Not only that, but they're really <laughs> tight. Is yeah. you know Dubis and Ron Francis, and I'm not saying he would have gone in as the GM, but I think Dubis knew that if he wanted to, he could join the crack in an advisory role, and then you know see where everything went. But I think the way it ended, yeah, I think he wanted to get right back in and prove to the Leafs that they made a mistake. And I thought it was really interesting, the tone of the press conference. When the Maple Leafs were asked about Dubis, Brendan Shanahan was complimentary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, I gave Sam Kennedy, who works for Fenway, our full endorsement. Dubis barely mentioned Toronto. And you could tell, like, this is personal now for Dubis. This is business. He made a business decision. And for Kyle Dubis, this is personal and he wants to beat the Leafs in the worst way now it's interesting when you look at the title as well you know we wondered about general manager now we've talked a lot about how this might just be strategic he comes in as president of hockey operations I think anyone who's followed Kyle Dubas's career and, and knows where he's at knows that he still wants to have hands on the wheel yep, here. He's 100%. still got the juice to be the GM. Like that's what Dubas prefers and that's what Dubas wants. Mm -hmm. I think I said to you on the radio the other day that it kind of feels a little bit like a Vancouver situation where, you know, technically Patrick Alvine was the general manager, but we all knew that your Motherford was making the moves. Mm -hmm. um, that's very much the way we suspect it's going to be here. So what happens then to the position lower, one lower than the president of hockey operations? What happens to the, the general manager spot? Is that a title that is now used to lure people out of organizations, most obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs, or is it something else? How do you read that situation? He's president of hockey operations, but we know he's going to be the GM. Uh, like As we record this, I think it's been reported that there were three people let go in Pittsburgh. I think there's more possible mm -hmm. to come if they haven't happened already. Alex Schall, Carrie Huffman, Tina Murray. I think people there are worried that there will be more if they haven't happened already. Mm -hmm. You know, there were some people who were really upset 
about some of the circumstances around those. Look, Pridham is the one that all the Leaf fans are wondering about. People forget that Brendan Shanahan hired Brandon Pridham. Shanahan came to Toronto from the NHL, and Pridham was the guy he absolutely wanted to take with him. I think the Leafs will do whatever they can to keep him, and they're hopeful. I don't want to use the word confident because I don't know, but they're hopeful that he will stay. I think the two names that people talk about are Wes Clark, who's the director of amateur scouting, and Daryl Metcalf, who's one of their assistant general managers. I do think it's very possible that Dubis will want, and the Penguins slash Fenway will want someone to come in there who's relatively fresh and new, that can eventually be groomed towards being a future leader of the Penguins' hockey ops. They interviewed a lot of people, relatively newer people. Evan Gold from Boston, Kate Madigan and Megan Duggan from New Jersey, Cam Lawrence from Columbus, Sam Ventura from Buffalo, who used to be in Pittsburgh. Did they interview Alexander Mandricki from Seattle? I have not heard Alex Mandricki, no. Okay, so I, I don't know if they interviewed her or not. I wouldn't be surprised if it's someone like that, someone who can grow into the job. But I agree with you. I think he's going to maintain the decision-making power. When he and Shanahan were trying to sort this out in Toronto, he wanted to be able to talk to the board when he had to, but he didn't want to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. He wanted the GM role. He didn't want to manage up. Whether or not he has the title of GM when this is all over, he's going to be the GM. You know, there's an elephant... (laughs) in the room here and I'm just going to splash the name out and see what happens. What about Jason Spezza through all this? I'm glad you mentioned this. So as mentioned, I think one of the reasons Spezza resigned when he did is because I think they were thinking of making him interim GM in Toronto. People don't think Spezza wants to move. I don't want to speak for him. That's his decision. So I don't see him as GM. I do think he's going to be in the Penguins organization. I think the biggest thing is like he had term left. So technically, Toronto could block it. Now, someone said to me, you could hire him to work for Fenway. Unless there's specific language in his contract preventing that, you could hire him to work for you Fenway. You see, I, I've wondered about that because I, I think that the Fenway model is going to be the sports ownership model of the future. And what that does is provide you cover to make hires like this. So it's not the actual team that makes the hire. It's the, the parent company that makes the hire. And you can kind of skirt some rules and regulations and get players out of contracts. Do we know if this has been addressed at the NHL level before to try to close this loophole? Or do you know if it's even one that the NHL would even... Do you remember the last time they got in the middle of this mess? It was, okay, we're going to do compensation to teams if you lose a GM or a coach to another team. Oh, yeah, that was a disaster. And Bettman said, I'm only doing this if I don't have aggravation. Yeah, there was It took him like 10 minutes until there was (laughs) aggravation. And he said... Get this crap out of here. I don't want to deal with this. And the one that blew it up was Peter Shirelli from Boston to Edmonton. Yeah. And Edmonton was like, you fired him. We don't have to pay compensation. And Boston was like, no, you do, because he's still under contract. Still under contract. And Bettman threw up his hands and said, I told you I didn't want any of this BS, so we're blowing it up. All right, so that's the Kyle Dubas Penguin situation. There will be plenty more on this in the uh, the days and weeks to come. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs introduced their new general manager, and 
Just by the virtue of who Brad Treliving is and where Brad Treliving has been and, and how he's worked and where he's worked, uh, we knew there would be a different tone to the press conference mm-hmm. than Maple Leafs fans had been used to with either Kyle Dubas or previous with Lou Lamarillo. Um, I mentioned to you on the radio the idea of pendulums, you know, um, you know overcorrecting to find their balance. And Lou was at one extreme and Kyle Dubas was at the other extreme. And does it feel like Brad Treliving is kind of in between those two? Do you think he is? I think that's a very fair description. I think Treliving is a guy who, you know, he was a tough player. When he played. Famously fought Gino Ojic at training camp yeah, once. Uh, <laughs> not always a great decision maker. Wow, that's guts. But a tough player when he played. But, you know, in, in Calgary, Chris Snow was the person who created a lot of their analytics. Yep. And, and they paid attention. They listened to a lot of this stuff. So I think he's someone who looks at everything. He comes from the business world, too. Mm-hmm. So I think you tend to look at things very analytically there. Look, he did all the right things in his media conference. He didn't pour gassing on the fire like one person i know that you and i both get along very well with is john ferguson i always remember his first media conference when he thought he was answering a really simple question no i don't think we're going to bring back doug gilmore and it turned into a firestorm a first day firestorm so i always think about do you get through that first day without igniting anything and i don't think he did like he basically said look like i believe in talent um, Austin is, is one of the elite players in the world. You know, we're not talking about a, a good player in the, in the league. We're talking about an elite player in the world. Getting to Austin is a priority, but outside of the contract stuff, number one is just getting to build that relationship. You know, it's not walking down and, and, and trying to arm wrestle about contracts. It's getting down and getting Austin, a ch- me getting a chance to meet him, but more importantly, having Austin get a chance to meet me. That's priority number one. You know, there's a lot of things that are priorities. Sheldon is as, as well. Um, and as I said to him, it's a little unique situation. You know, that's the business. My outside lens of Sheldon, I look at a team, what is it, two years as, as a full-time coach, 115 points, 111 points. I think he's a really good coach. My view is determining whether a guy's good, bad, or indifferent. You have to work with him. You have to get to know him. So we're going to sit down and we're going we're gonna to go through it. But we're not married to anything and we're going to sort out Austin Matthews first and probably Sheldon Keefe second. And I don't think anybody has a big issue with that. He left all the doors open for himself. Yeah. Saying everything is on the table. But I, I really, and he, he stressed this, Tree Living did a couple of different times. He wanted to go, it almost seemed like he wanted to go out of his way to mention how difficult it is to get good players. The good things here is we got really good players, okay? You look at where these players are drafted, right? You just have to pick the number where they're drafted. There's a lot of pain to get, to get good players. So having those players excites me. And they, like I said, they're world-class players. We're going to review everything. You know, I, and he I, talked I, a lot about all the pain that the Toronto Maple Leafs team had to go through to get those players. Yep. Now, I don't know whether that is, because I always, I always got to look at it through different lenses. You know, I don't know if part of that is strategic. Like if you are thinking about making a move, why devalue your players at a press conference? Say, oh yeah, bodies are going out the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would make a lot more sense if you say, yeah, hard, great players are hard to get and we've got great players here. So I want to go out of my way to mention how great these players are and what we had to go through to get them. So if you're thinking about trying to steal one, guess again, but we are open for business. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of the core four and, and all those types of things, my job is to protect them, right? It's to protect them. And I'll, I'm first fiercely protective of my players. 
But this can't be about the core four. This is about the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's not about four players, not about two, it's not about one. It's about the 23 guys that we're going to have in this organization. So I understand the spotlight's bigger here. I understand we're so fortunate to have all you people that, that care greatly about uh, this team because of the fan base we have. But it's about the Leafs. And the success of this team or, or whatever tr- or whatever challenges we have isn't because of four guys or two guys or one guy. It's about the group. And uh, for a manager coming in, I'm pretty lucky to have the talent that those four represent, as well as everybody else on this team. But you're not opposed to it. We will look at all things. Like from a strategic point of view, like, listen, Tree Living's a smart guy. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what lens I should look at that press conference through. And I looked at it and I said, that is a very safe, mature, at times funny. Yeah, it's good. It's good to see those guys. Gio, it's good to see him still playing at 75. Uh, not a lot of guys do. And... Uh, Laid back because that's Brad Tree Living style mm-hmm. press conference. Mm-hmm. That's how I looked at it. Look, like I think what this all means, and, and I wrote about this on Friday, is I think it's going to come down to what Toronto is going to have to sign all these players for. You know, if you look at the contracts of the core four, mm-hmm. none of them took discounts. And I don't want to repeat what I said about Matthews. If you listen to this podcast, you know what I think is going to happen there. I think he's going to sign for a big number and not max term. The thing I I think about here, Jeff, is, and this is what someone actually said to me the other day, it's, it's not just signing Matthews. The last time they went through all this, when they signed Matthews, well, now Marner has to go to this number. And now Nylander has to be taken care of. So... I think that's what's going to be the biggest factor here. And, you know, Tree Living's big thing is, can he get Matthews to commit to July 1st? Okay? I don't know. Like I said, I think Matthews going to sign. I just don't know if it'll be done by there. Well, then all of a sudden, now you can start laying the groundwork. Well, Nylander needs another deal. Marner's going to need another deal in a year at the earliest. That's what I think is going to determine the future here. Like the last time, Toronto didn't say no to anybody. They said yes, and they got all these deals done. Is it going to be different this time? The thing that's interesting about Tree Living is he's lived the scenario of a star player going into the last year of the deal and what can happen. He's lived the scenario of keeping a coach after you've been hired. He's also lived the scenario of, because he's going into his last year, giving a coach an extension, and then it all goes sideways. He's lived all of this. And that's the most fascinating question to me is, how does that shape his philosophy here? Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello, gang. This is Ryan Schaap calling from beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, when the podcast first started off in 2017, 2018, I was working a uh, 3 a.m. affiliate shift at a, uh, a channel that will not be mentioned, and I would be taking a night bus across uh, Metro Vancouver full of drunk people coming out of the bar and uh, reprobates eating whole pizzas. And, you know, I'd go work this shift, and I wasn't the happiest or the most fulfilled in my broadcasting career and, and in my uh, hockey coverage career. And on those long, miserable, depressing bus rides, uh, the first several uh, episodes of 32 Thoughts 
is what kept me motivated and optimistic and generally kept me feeling um, warm and uh, optimistic. Anyway, I also was working for the Canucks in-house video team at the time, and Elliot was in town covering the Calder Trophy race. We met Barzell and Brock Besser. As I was leaving my post for the night, uh, I encountered Elliot Friedman, who was about to take the elevator to the 500 level. In that moment, I wanted to take the time to tell him how appreciative I was for your podcast and to keep me motivated in my hockey podcast and career, but I chickened out. So here I am, five years later, telling Elliot and also Jeff to a lesser extent how much I appreciate their show, appreciate your show, and all the work Amal does. It is a highlight of my week, and uh, I love to steal news from here verbatim or slightly altered. As always, good job, Elliot. Good job, Amal. Under the influence of flash that I glide like Ovechkin, discus hoodie, puff hibiscus, balance be the Christmas. Well, we'll just have to go. You get the. Can you just like let like just let listeners know like? Yeah. Like they're just doing the pregame show. Okay. So as you can hear, by the way, before we continue here with this podcast, because we're at T-Mobile Arena uh, in a side room and we're about 30, 40 feet from the rink, what you're hearing is the music as they rehearse the pregame show for game one. So that is what we refer to, Elliot, in the industry as ambient sound. <laughs> if you're hearing that in the background, there's a little preview of what you're going to see on and hear on Saturday nights. Uh, the other Ontario team, and that is the Ottawa Senators, it's the obligatory, what's the latest with the send sale? I do think the league wanted this to be done. I liked your note, by the way, in your piece about how this could be a good way for the uh, the NHL commissioner to be quite chuffed yeah. uh, before game one. Look, when he does his State of the Union address, he gets asked a lot of questions, tough questions. I'm sure he's going to be asked about Arizona. I'm sure he's going to be asked about the video of Nichushkin that came out, the yep. body cam footage. I'm sure he's going to be asked about a lot of other things that are negative. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what we do. We we get only so many chances to talk to him that we're going to take those chances. Like I have to tell you, like I had someone in the banking industry who told me the other day that they won't be surprised if that sale gets announced at say 1.2 billion. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that's true. I'm just I'm doing Doug McLean. I'm not <laughs> telling you what I know. I'm telling you what I heard. I'm not saying it's the truth. I'm just saying what I heard. That's right. So that's a win for Batman. Even a billion is a win. That's huge. About yeah. 1.2. But I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity to do that. I, I think they yeah. were hoping he would. So Ian Mendez had a, had a report today on Friday that the Kimmels were out. Like, this is the tough thing. And this goes back to, you know, what we were talking about the other day. Like, the Ottawa people, even if it is a crazy process, they don't want to hear the Toronto idiots making yeah. fun of them. <laughs> like, I think... Ian's tweet, I think, just highlights the issues that we all have with this story. It's like a swirling bowl of spin. I don't know if the Kimmels ever withdrew, but I think there were times they thought they were out. So after Ian talked about that, and I said, I, I don't believe that to be the case, but I, I do believe at times they thought they weren't going to win. Somebody called me, and it's someone who's connected to one of these bids, and he said... That is kind of part of the frustrating thing is that there's a lead bidder and we all think it's uh, Steve Apostolopoulos and 
The issue is that what he thinks is happening is other bids are being told, well, if you can get here, you're still in it. And what one guy told me was he thinks one of these groups has said, put that on paper Hmm. and say, if we get to this number, we get it. And it hasn't happened. So that's part of the frustration. Like, I don't know if that group is the Kimmels. He said he wouldn't tell me, but... I understand where Ian was coming from, even if the substance of it wasn't accurate. I understand where he's coming from because I think some of these groups at different times, mm-hmm. like they thought they were out only to be pulled back in like Al Pacino in Godfather 3. There's your obligatory Godfather reference here on the podcast. Yes. Quick note on um, the Philadelphia Flyers. We talked about the uh, the other Pennsylvania team. Yeah. Uh, and here are the Flyers and Daniel Breer's latest moves. Alan McCauley, assistant general manager. Mm-hmm. Riley Armstrong, director of player development. Nick Schultz, assistant to the director of player development. Three new positions. Well, you should talk about Riley. I'm, I'm really happy for Riley and the Armstrong fa- Armstrong family. Well, I mean, we know him through uh, through working with Colby, uh, his brother. Uh, really good, tough player. He was a coach uh, for a long time. Uh, into the American Hockey League by way of the uh, of the ECHL has been with Daniel Briere for a number of years, uh, going back to ECHL Maine as well. There was interest from a couple of other teams last season um, with Riley Armstrong, and he's highly he's highly thought of as a coach. Uh, and this is a really good spot for him. And I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for the Armstrong family, director of player development. That's a, that's a really great one for Riley. Yeah, happy for Riley too. And Colby, like you said, it's, they're, they're, they're a great family, so I'm, I'm happy to see them do really well. Look, the Philadelphia's new hierarchy is being built. It's coming out, and mm. I think we're all curious to see what this is going to mean for the roster. Elliot, something you wrote about on Twitter on Thursday. Um, Patrick Kane, uh, hip resurfacing, estimated timeout four to six months Still plans on playing a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of July 1st, he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, what are your thoughts on Patrick Kane? Well, first of all, I wanted to apologize to Dr. Sue because I Googled his name and I just saw uh, some spellings that were H-S-U and, I, and it's S-U. I remember I used to get fails in school when I got people's names wrong in, a, in stories. So hmm. I got a fail on that initial tweet. Um, Go to box, feel shame. Look, I think that it really confirms a lot of speculation we had about Kane, which was that he was really bothered by something. I hope he feels great. I hope he comes back. I hope he errs on the side of caution and just takes a little extra rest. But I have no question that he's going to be able to find a team that's going to say, you know, for a year, maybe two, if you really want him. I have no doubt that he's going to find somebody who wants to do that. Uh, you write about Alex Kalorn and Tyler Bertuzzi, two teams trying to keep two players. Yeah, so I think that uh, Boston is starting to try to figure out what it can do to keep Bertuzzi. He did look good in that when you look at how he plays. Yes. Like- now, with Bertuzzi, one of the reasons I think it didn't work out with Detroit was because of term, that you know, he had a certain term and he, he preferred to stay there and the, and the Red Wings weren't willing to go there. I don't assume that any of that has changed. So we'll see what the case is here. But from what I'm hearing, Jeff, the Bruins are, you know, floating some things out there. And it's pretty clear, I think, to other teams what Boston is trying to do. And that is find mm-hmm. a way to keep Bertuzzi on the roster. Kalorn, I think Tampa made him an offer. I don't know if it was like, 
uh, like a Nick Paul seven times three ish <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. but it was something along those lines, like a long term lower AAV number. And I just don't think it's going to work. I mean, I've heard there's a lot of interest in Kalorn out listen, there. Tampa, a you, lot of interest. You know this, Elliot. There have been so many times where we thought, okay, they're going to finally have to cut bait here with Alex Kalorn. Yes. And you can tell how much they value this player. Yes. I mean, how many different times of the draft have we said, okay, this is where Alex Kalorn's finally going to get moved for cap relief and, and for cap reasons. And it never happened. Mm-hmm. So reading your uh, your piece on Friday, that didn't surprise me just because of how highly they think of this guy. Mm-hmm. Elliot, anything else you want to mention before we get to yeah, more you of know, the cup final? You know, one thing I wanted to mention is I think the goalie market is starting to heat up. You know, some of these teams that either need goalies or they've got extra goalies or goalies they don't think they're going to be able to sign. Someone told me you've got, you're going to have a little bit of homework to do because it's starting to heat up out there. Do you think this is the summer where goalies get paid? I think Hellebuck, anywhere he goes, is going to get paid if he's not in Winnipeg. But I don't know how many are going to get paid, but I think teams are going to decide, are we sticking with what we've got? Can we keep what we've got? Or we have to look elsewhere. Like someone said to me, it's really starting to heat up. And that's actually Dubas's first big decision. Oh, Tristan Jari, yeah, for like, sure. I, I got to tell you, like, you know, I, I was thinking about this. So one of the people, as you mentioned, that they let go of was their strength and conditioning coach. Tina Murray. Yeah, Tina Murray, the strength and conditioning coach. Like whenever I hear that, I wonder, is that their way of saying, well, Jari kept on getting hurt and we just have to find a new way to work around him. Hmm. Like a new plan. And please understand, I'm not saying that Tina Murray was bad at her job or anything like that. All I'm saying is that whenever a team gets injuries right. and the strength and conditioning coach gets let go, I wonder if it's they're saying, okay, we need a new philosophical way of attacking that. Let me be a little bit more uh, Pacific, as we say in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Will this be the summer of not just the goalie getting paid, but the backup goalie getting paid? knowing how much teams now are looking at their goalie situation and saying, we're not playing this guy 60 anymore. We need a goaltender that can give us quality starts, like 30 quality starts. That's going to cost. I kind of look at it this way. I like to see people get the bag, so I hope they get paid. (laughs) But uh, if you're not happy with your situation or you can't keep it for financial reasons, Mm -hmm. you're starting to look around. Quick pause. We'll come back, talk more about the uh, Stanley Cup final game one on the horizon on Saturday night. You'll hear from Alex Petrangelo of the Vegas Golden Knights and Matthew Kachuk of the Florida Panthers. Okay, welcome back to the program. I want to get to a couple of interviews here. I'm going to air the interview we did, Elliot, earlier Thursday with Alex Petrangelo of the Vegas Golden Knights. Give us some really good stuff and stay tuned. Yes, Elliot does ask about the handshake. Uh, But first, Matthew Kachuk. We knew it was going to be good. It always is with Matthew Kachuk. But a lot of this conversation, and you'll hear it here in a couple of moments, revolved around his appearance on the NBA on TNT and becoming, you know, not just the face of the Panthers, but the face of Florida hockey and maybe and maybe even we say the face of the NHL right now. Before we get to the interview, your thoughts right now on Matthew Kachuk. I don't want to talk anymore. I've spent the last 40 minutes talking. People are sick of me. They want to hear from Kachuk. They want to hear from Petrangelo. But, but <laughs> I, I just want to say that 
we said in another podcast, he's the right guy at the right time. Yeah. He the really perfect is. guy at the perfect time. Matthew Kachuk on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Okay, before we talk about hockey, describe being on the set, the NBA on TNT. <laughs> um, first of all, it was unreal talking with those guys on camera. It was super cool. My favorite part was talking with them off before for 15, 20 minutes. We were just hanging out like in their TNT room and just like watching highlights of basketball and hockey was on and yeah. hearing their opinions on basketball and everything. It was cool talking to Charles. He's super funny guy. And mm-hmm. like what you see on camera, like he's exactly like that often. Somebody who I'm very lucky to say has been like following me and mm-hmm. I've been following him for, for forever. So the fact that he even knows who I am is pretty cool. So talking with him and Shaq, who I met on on air, was was awesome. You know what? The thing that I really liked about that, uh, watching that whole thing, Matthew, is that, uh, you know, obviously Shaq and, and Kenny Smith aren't huge hockey fans, but they had really good – like I, I thought the question Kenny Smith asked you about what's more important about – the skating or the stick handling and Shaq pretending he wanted to fight and stuff like that. Like they welcomed you, even though they didn't really know a lot about the game you play, they welcomed you as an equal and they said, you're part of our group. That really stood out to me. I just felt like, even though they probably don't know as much as like you guys do know about hockey, like they wanted to know more. And I think it helps with our team doing so well in that market and having the heat do well. It's like, kind of like overlap with the fan bases right now. So like maybe that some hockey fans didn't know much about basketball and now some of the basketball fans are learning more about hockey. So I think it helps having a team like that do so well. Like if the Heat were doing so well, I probably wouldn't have been on NBA TNT. So it's just, (laughs) it's cool that that allowed me to be in that position. And yeah, I thought it was really cool. Those guys to, to like ask those questions and want to learn more about hockey. Like Charles knows a lot. He does. Um, And Ernie knew a lot as well. Um, but for the other two, like for them to ask questions and try to learn more, it was, it was cool for me to talk about my sport too. You know, one of the things people have been talking about here is that it's not only the summer of, or I guess maybe, I guess the spring of Kachuk in terms of the way you've played, but it's also the spring of Kachuk in terms of your personality and the attention that you've brought to the game. Now, I know there's business here, but the fact that you're being seen as advancing the sport and the eyes on the sport, do you think about that? I don't think about that, but I've realized what's going on around me and you try to keep a focus on, on the task. And I've done a really good job of that. And my team has done a really good job of that, but recognizing more people watching, you know, different backgrounds of people watching Florida, South Florida is being talked about hockey first along with basketball. Now, like it's, I'm not saying it's, it's because of me at all. It's because of our team, but it's, it's allowed I think that the NHL is with the help of our team has done a great job marketing the sport now for people that don't know as much about or didn't now they do. And um, having these two markets in the finals is really helping grow the game. And I'm seeing it firsthand from when I first got to Florida this summer, how it's changed this year with our team doing well and going on this run. It's like, it's amazing. People, guys on the team can't go to many places without somebody noticing them, which is, is so cool. And it reminds me of my time in Calgary. You know, speaking of your time in Calgary, um, you played on the best line in hockey. With all due respect to other elite lines out there from last season, I mean, you and Lindholm and Johnny Gaudreau were were special. Great line. And you come to Florida, and my curiosity is how long until you felt really comfortable 
playing with the Panthers. There's obviously going to be an adjustment, different team, different conference, all of it. But you had a monster year, but I'm curious, when did it really seem to click for you? Well, I didn't really play many preseason games. Um, I got hurt towards or a little banged up where I couldn't play more than like the split squad game and one other. And it really helped me playing with Benny to start. And we played with a lot of different people this year, but I would say for you know, 60, 70 of the games I was playing with Benny and that really, really helped me. I just think that having that familiar face, like on and off the ice, really, like I I was so lucky to come, I came here early, but not that early where I had like the whole summer to hang out with these guys. And I was here probably a month before the season started or a month before training camp. And it clicked. I swear it clicked like that off ice. Hmm. And so I knew it wasn't going to take a long time for me to feel comfortable like I did in Calgary on the ice and don't get me wrong like I, I play with unreal players in Calgary and Johnny and Lindy for basically the whole year last year but coming down here I didn't realize the skill level I knew they were really skilled but that first day in the summer skating with them I was like I had no idea they were this good hmm. so that made it super easy it didn't matter who I was playing with they were a really 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 good player and really offensively gifted and I think that's what the Panthers have been known for the last few years and we've kind of change that in the style we're playing and we still have that offense but now we're playing more of that gritty style which suits my game so it helps me what did you think of paul maurice when he was coaching against you and what do you think of him now didn't like it when he said all those terrible things about you <laughs> um well i know he probably wasn't the biggest fan of me I, that's probably the easier way to to answer it but i'm super lucky to have him as my coach now sure. and, first time i met him was right before training camp and we just sat down and talked about what would make me a better player which we knew it would both ultimately help our team and and the vision he had for our team. And and the vision he had for our team is exactly where we are right now, playing the exact way we're playing right now. So he's super smart. He's a great motivator. And he's brought out the best in me. Like I know everybody talks about, you know, my last year in Calgary. And, you know, that was probably the peak of what I was going to be. And I can sit here comfortably and say that as an individual, I feel like I'm way above what I was last year in Calgary just from my game growing and rounding out. And I think Paul is a big part of that. Okay. So let me, a bit more, how'd you get from there to here? Cause you've been unbelievable. I would say trust is one thing. Every team has a certain standard, how they want to play, but there's a little bit, I would say of rope that Paul has, has given me and, and that I can do some things that I know are my strengths. And it's just allowed me to feel really comfortable in this, whether it's, you want to call it system or lifestyle or, with my teammates. And I mean, I don't know if I'm playing a lot more than I have before, but I know I put a ton of work in the past few summers to be able to play the big minutes. And and I think it pays off. You know, I'm super lucky to have my brother that I train with every single day in St. Louis. And, and we have such a great schedule and our routine. And to be honest, like it's our schedule of training is based around playing in like playoff overtime. Like that's when it's going to pay mm. off. And I, I feel like this year in playoffs, like as the games have gone on, I feel like I'm getting better and I feel more fresh, like the longer the series go or the longer the game goes. And so I credit my brother for that. You come from a super talented and competitive family, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. This is the first time that anyone's been this close to this in hockey, the, the hockey's ultimate goal. What's it like for all of you with you 24 hours away from starting this last part of the journey? Yeah, it's been amazing. It has, and to have their support, like I didn't think anybody would want to win more than me. 
and my whole family, like the four other members of my family wanted just as much. Like they're so dedicated to our team. Even like, even my brother, like he, he knows that this has been a dream my whole life. And I know some people, I think it's weird if he like comes to a game or whatever, like he's supporting me and he wants me to live out a dream right now. And I know if roles are reversed, I'd be doing the same for him. So it's not a lifelong dream just for myself to be able to lift the cup and have all that glory and, and, you know, completing that goal. It's, for the people that have supported me for my whole life, like how gratifying it'd be for them to see me do that and to know they played a little part in it. That's why you want to do it. Let me follow up on that really briefly. This, this is my last one. I remember speaking to you, Elliot and I talked when your brother was going through his contract situation with Ottawa and you <laughs> gave us a quote where you said, if you negotiate with one of us, you negotiate with all of us. <laughs> if you win the Stanley cup, do you look at that as a victory for the Kachuk family? Absolutely. Um, I didn't get here by myself. Like we just talked about my brother. When the season ends, he's the guy I'm going through the, the summer trenches with, if you want to call it, with all the long workouts and work days and, and all that stuff. So he's the guy pushing me. So I know it'll be very satisfying for my brother to know that he played. Well, he, he's so like selfless where he, he'll be like, it was all you all. He'll let, you know, he's probably the biggest reason why. I'm ready to go and, you know, in these positions and, and feel good in these positions. So, and obviously my parents and my sister, like they've been there every step of the way and the amount of sacrifices they've made, mm-hmm. I wanted almost more for them than myself. So same goes to like Panthers fans. Like they've been waiting a long time for this longer than I've been alive. So uh, it's something you want to deliver for them. And, and I know what my teammates go through each and every day with, you know, the bumps and bruises they play with and the, you know, it's not easy getting to this point. Like you have to, you know, get lucky. Mm-hmm. You have to play hard. You have to have some unbelievable performances from everybody. And and I've seen it firsthand what guys have gone through. So I want it more for them than myself. We wish you luck. Thanks so much for this, Matthew. Thank you. Great athletes have an understanding of the largeness of an event and are able to understand the moment. I don't think that Matthew Kachuk is overwhelmed by anything that's happening with him right now. I think quite the opposite. He embraces it, and it seems like he wants more. The bigger the stage, the more Matthew Kachuk wants to be on it, and I think that's through every single interview that you see with Matthew Kachuk. That's really coming through. I could say this. If they win the Stanley Cup, I want to see the shot of all the Kachuk's shotgunning beer at center ice with the Stanley Cup because you know it's coming. I wonder if we're going really, really really to see like Brady Kachuk wandering around the stands with tins in his back pocket like we saw at Calgary. You know what? I, I really like that, though, so Jeff. is just that, you know, the talk of how it's a win for the family. Like, if I send out a big tweet, you know, we're not celebrating me, Steph, and Max. Like, I, <laughs> I'm kind of envious about that. Like, just that you can celebrate that kind of victory together as a yeah, family. I love it. Uh, we wish him and the Florida Panthers all the best as we do the Vegas Golden Knights. We wish both teams uh, the best. We just want to watch good hockey after all. Now, we're turning our attention now to someone who's already won the Stanley Cup, and that's Alex Petrangelo, defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to air the full interview here, and it gets to, does comment on the Leon Dreisaitl situation later on. Do you have a quick thought on Alex Petrangelo, who is probably, you know, you've talked about, you know, Norris regret. And then a lot of that conversation revolved around Miro Haskinen. Mm-hmm. Do we think we have the same thing about Alex Petrangelo, who very quietly has turned into some great hockey this year? I think he's played, had a great season. You know what You know what I really think, Jeff? I was re-listening to our Kelly McCrimmon pod earlier this year hmm. where he talked about 
he had to move mountains to bring in Eichel and bring in Petrangelo. And he said, because if you want to win in the NHL, you need players like Eichel and you need players like Petrangelo. Number one center and a number one defenseman. Yeah. And here they are, they're four wins away with both of those guys playing massive roles. Massive roles. And so I think about that, about how that's what this guy was brought in to do, and he's four wins away from doing it. He's done it before. Can him and the Vegas Golden Knights do it again? Here's Alex Petrangelo on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Alex, you've already won the Stanley Cup once. How is this different journey than your journey with St. Louis? Well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, obviously probably the time frame, right? You spend, I mean, we made the playoffs almost every year in St. Louis, and we finally had an opportunity to get over that hump. Spent a long time with a lot of guys there and uh, got through that together. That's pretty special. Uh, my wife's from there too, so that was a pretty cool moment. But I think coming here and obviously a big life change with the kids and the family and coming here, and I really felt like um, – the vision that Kelly, George, and Bill had is kind of what I saw too and where they want a team to go. And, uh, you know, we're, what, three years in now. We made it to the conference finals. You know, then you miss the playoffs, and then all of a sudden you have a chance to do it again. I think this is why I came here. I feel like it gave me a good opportunity to win again. Do you ever talk to Bruce Cassidy about 2019? Did yeah. that ever come up? <laughs> yeah, it's a little awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but we talk about it. I mean, look, game seven, anything can happen, right? Yeah. So it's just uh, – you know, obviously, you know, I play with David Backus too. And, mm. you know, someone that I, I, I really look up to, I still do. And that was an even harder thing, right, to go through um, when you play against your friends. Do you think this year, because you had an exceptional year, someone that I spoke to said, when all the Norris Trophy ballots are revealed, you guys are going to be all embarrassed that you guys didn't have Petrangelo higher. How did you feel about your season and your playoffs? Honestly, I felt like I had a really strong season. I think we had a lot of injuries at one point. Um, a few guys missed a couple months and really had to, you know, play big minutes there for a while. You know, is it nice to get recognized? Yeah, but the cliche of it only matters what's in the locker room, I could care less what people think. I, look, we're going to play on the East Coast at 10 o'clock and everybody's going to watch our games. Not everybody's going to see night in, night out what, what guys do. And, you know, that's their opinions. I know what I do hopefully can, you know, help a team win. You know, it's no different than Mark Stone, Jack Eichel. I can go, you know, Shea Theodore. I can go on and on about the list of guys, you know, that we have. And, and the thing that makes us special as a group is we all understand that we got to give a little bit to get a lot. And we got some big-time players in our team that are willing to do that, you know. And here we are. I, I appreciate when people say that. It's great. But what matters most is what's in that locker room. What do you give? What does Alex Petrangelo give I'll to give, get a lot? I'll give you everything I have every single night. Is it going to be perfect? No, it's not going to be. But – I think especially as you get older in your career, uh, you know you're not going to be able to do it forever, so you got to make sure those moments count. And I think I feel like I've tried to become an even better teammate as I've gotten older and really enjoy the relationships you know, with my teammates. And, and I really enjoy helping other guys too, and especially like Whitey and, and Hager, the guys who are well, 10 years younger than me. Like, <laughs> like, funny to say that now, but I really enjoy that part of it. And those guys have been such an important part of our group. But if I can answer any questions to them, life or hockey, whatever it is, I'm happy to do those things. You know, the relationship between a defenseman and a goaltender is a special one. And there are certain ways, I mean, you know this, like you read off goalies, body language, what they're good. One of the stories about the Vegas goal, the nicest year is how many goaltenders this team has used this season. How much of a challenge has that been for you? You know what? Not as much as you think. I think the way we play, we can put anybody in there. And 
that's a good thing. I don't mean yeah. to say that in a bad way, but if you look at all the goalies that have come in this year, they've all played well. And uh, I think we know how each guy is going to play. There's similarities between, you know, different guys, but they all do have some some tendencies that maybe you adjust to. But I think our style and, and how strong we are as a group on the back end, I think we're lucky that we don't have to change much when those guys go in. You guys are 12-5 and five in the playoffs. It's tough to win 12 out of 17 in the playoffs. Did you ever think in any series you guys were in trouble? I wouldn't say in trouble. I felt like... Um, you know, we, we played terrible against Winnipeg in game one. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. And then a good wake-up call for us. I think, too, when you have so much success in regular season, you can carry that. And sometimes you get a little on your high horse and it brings you back down to earth. I feel like, uh, obviously, Dallas came back. They win two. And you're saying, okay, anything can happen. And mm-hmm. we put our best game in game six. But anytime you're playing against, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl, anything can happen, right? I mean, if you look at what they can do, and you know, they can flip that switch and and take over a game at any point. So I think they probably played better than us in some games. And uh, But I thought, collectively as a group, we did a pretty good job against them. But that was a tough series. I wanted to ask you, the handshake line with Dreisaitl, what happened and is it important for everyone to forgive and forget? Um, well, it's hard to forgive and forget, right? I mean, it's for sure. Look, did I make a mistake? Yeah, I did. I mean, and I paid for it. I had to sit in that room and watch the game and go ask Phil Kessel. It was hard to watch with me because I was pacing the room back and forth. But, you know, I, I just wanted to apologize and, and say that, you know, it wasn't very smart on my end. The game was over and emotions got the best of me. And I think it takes a big person to apologize, right? It's not an easy thing to do to admit your mistake. And thankfully, the guys, you know, did the job for me. Alex, thanks so much for this. Best okay. of luck in the yeah. final. Thanks. Before we go to the music. Yes. What's your pick? I like the Vegas Golden Knights. I have Vegas in seven. Uh, I got Vegas in five or six. Five? They're good, man. <laughs> they're really good, Elliot, and they're deep. Okay, okay. Vegas is good, man. I know they're good, but Vegas, five Vegas is, is disrespectful. Good. Oh, okay. Oh. That's such disrespect. Vegas in eight, then. Like Make sure that. everybody's I happy. like that better. <laughs> Before we get to the music here, um, we've had a lot of interesting feedback um, from the interview we did with Ryan Smith, yep. the owner of the Utah Jazz, the man trying to bring the NHL to Utah. Given the feedback, given the conversations around this interview, and if you haven't heard it, I strongly suggest that you go and listen to it because this gentleman's probably going to be an owner of the NHL uh, at some point, and he is quite unique and quite different. Um, so we encourage you to go and, and listen to that pod. What's what's the feedback that you've gotten after the interview dropped yesterday? Uh, mostly positive. To be honest, Jeff, in some ways, I, I kind of was like, we didn't do the interview properly in terms of the order. Like, instead of getting into the hockey, we talked about, you know, who he was and his philosophy as a person. Yeah. After a while, I was kind of like, oh, we're going in the wrong direction. But I had people who said, no, 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 I kind of like knowing about know the person yeah. before I knew about the hockey stuff. People seem to really like it. You know what the biggest negative I got out of it? What's that? Was that people just don't want to see any more expansion. They're like, we don't want to see any more teams. Oh, if you have to I relocate... Know, I said to one of them, you better get used to it. You better get used to but, it. But, you know, There's... I think for the most part, people seem to enjoy it. Look, you look at the numbers for the Ottawa Senators and what they're going to get, and you look at the amount of people that want pro sports franchises, and you say to yourself, inventory's low and desire is high. Get used to it. Yeah. 
anyway, encourage you to go and have a listen to uh, to Ryan Smith uh, on our interview podcast from a couple of days ago. It was nothing to do with me and Elliot. Ryan Smith was exceptional. Taking us out is an artist of two Rwandan immigrants who moved to the United States before the genocide that hit his country in the early 90s. Based out of Minneapolis, Moyes has been making rock-infused R&B music over the last six years. From his latest album, We Survive the Storm, Volume 2, here's Moyes with Paranoia on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy Game 1. Reaching for me. 